Hello and welcome to uh, the first episode of the season for the Tigers Down Under, a brand new season um, ready to begin in, in only two weeks. It's really kind of crept up to... Uh, oh, just getting a bit of feedback there. there go. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's just crept up on us already that we've got uh, the season starting in the next two weeks and I've got Logan with me to preview and to cover all of the off-season news so far. How are you, Logan? Evening, Alex. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, as you said, it's rolled around very quickly and uh, obviously, uh, you know, after the, the joys of last season and winning a title, um, you know, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a, a totally different contest. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, may as well jump straight into it. We've had a couple of preseason friendlies over the weekend, so we've actually had a bit of football to talk about, first of all, and then we'll get into all of the, I guess, off-season news, the signings, the departures, that that, that takeover that sort of loomed large at the start of the summer and then sort of vanished off into the um into the uh twitter sphere i guess as we just sort of heard less and less about it um and then also was uh, the efl embargo as well sort of the big news of the last week or so as well so we'll we'll cover all of that but look we thought we'd start with uh some football news or football discussion first of all with the two preseason friendlies um over the weekend we, we, it was a pretty neat split. It, I thought I thought they might have played some of the first eleven in one game and some in the other to get a bit of a split. But it looks like they've pretty clearly gone. You know, the Mansfield game was the, essentially the team that all line up first day of the championship season. Scunthorpe's probably the guys pressing for a place in that team um, over the over the opening weeks of the championship season. But that Mansfield game, two one loss. It's a preseason game. Result doesn't really matter. What, what, what did you take away from that one? Yeah, obviously not being uh, televised and difficult to make a comment on not seeing the full 90 minutes, but we've watched the extended highlights now and from what uh, all the all the reports said from people who are at the game and, and watching that, that 10 minutes, there looked to be some really positive uh, passages of play. I know the scoreline, um, you know, as you said, didn't really tell us too much and in a preseason game, that's not exactly what you're looking for, but um, I thought Ken Lewis Potter looked excellent in the highlights. Um, he kind of didn't mm. didn't miss a trick, and uh, every single time there was anything positive or a uh, um, you know passage of play that to really get excited about, he seemed to be involved. So, um, you know that's kind of business as usual for him. Uh, and I guess the two goals were were a handball that was was pretty clumsy, and um, and even the second goal we conceded just looked like it was a little bit uh, calamitous. But I guess you kind of expect that stuff in preseason, and um, yeah, when we were on the ball and and did look an attacking threat um there was some really promising play so a lot to get excited about yeah definitely and, and as you said i mean we we only had the benefit of the extended highlights we haven't been able to watch the full game um unfortunately it's a shame it would have been nice to have um have those over um um the the streams but but it is what it is um so we're just sort of talking about what we've seen on those highlights and look you know i, I guess of the of the new signings Moncur looked really sharp to me um there was that there was that passage where there's a lot of intricate passing between Lewis Potter and Moncur and a few others. And I think Moncur ended up cutting it back for Lewis Potter, where I think if he'd, he'd cut it across goal to Magenis, um, he was right there for, a, for an easy tap in. But that's what that's what preseason's for. It's about kind of getting those uh, cobwebs out, getting to know your teammates, get a bit more understanding about each other's movements and that sort of thing. But 
look, as you said as well, I think Lewis Potter looked fantastic and, and he's going to hit the championship like a, a ton of bricks, I reckon. Yeah, I think we've we've kind of expected that for, for quite some time. It wasn't really a, a question of whether he will. It was just when he will. And after all of the, you know, contentious, was he going to stay with City, was he not last season, being left out of games, it's just it's so nice to, to be in this situation, uh, like you said, being excited about what lies ahead for him and uh, the fact that he's doing it at the championship level. I'm really excited to see the heights that, that this guy can reach and, um, you know, the fact that he's doing it in the City jersey as well makes it even more special. Definitely. Um, I guess the two players conspicuous by their absence were, um, well, three really, with um, Callum Elder at left-back missing with injury, uh, George Honeyman in midfield and then also Malik Wilkes up forward. Um, uh, Honeyman, I think, can been confirmed as missing the first month or so of football. I don't know if I've heard much about how long Wilkes is out for, and I guess Elder's probably going to miss the first couple as well with that injury he suffered um, uh, on basically the final game of the season. Um, how concerned are you with those injuries heading into the first game of the season? Look, they were very critical for us last season, weren't they? And I guess if we're going to you know, look at just the... I guess the influence that they had on the game. So obviously Malik Wilkes with his goal scoring. I mean, George Honeyman was uh, the arguably the player of the season, mm. um, and and not just in in uh, the city jersey, but also in League One. Um, and we also talked about the um, the role that Callum Elder played, in particularly the amount of assists that he brought uh, for the for the side. I mean, you know, make no mistake, that's a that's a lot to be going without uh, to start a championship campaign. Um, as you you know go up a level um, or a tier in football and expect to, you know, particularly for this city side, it hasn't been one of huge signings over the off season. Uh, it's not like we've been going out and, and spending the likes of, you know, what say a Fulham or someone has. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that does worry us. It's, it's going to be a different type of season in the sense that we do need our best players to fire and to initially be without uh, three of them is it's, it's a concern. However, um, you can see from the weekend with the with the two games that did play um, did get played. We're going to be able to field a very competitive side um, between those two squads, and uh, and um, you know that's exciting with the in context of knowing that the opposition is obviously going to be more difficult. Yeah, certainly. I, I think I mean, there's probably some Premier League sides who aren't splashing the sort of cash that Fulham are at the moment. Twelve million pounds for um, you know former Hull City superstar Harry Wilson. Um, is uh, pretty crazy money for a championship club, especially in the current climate. So, yeah, that's certainly um, that's certainly a high bar that they're setting in terms of uh, spending power, I guess, in the championship. Um, you know, the goal itself, it was a pretty typical Magenis goal headed in, um, just showing us that he hasn't really lost much touch over the summer. It's good to see. Um, he'll probably get, uh, look, I guess he'll probably get the nod to start uh, in the first game of the season. I'll, I'll, I'll hope that McCann basically says to the squad, these are the guys that got us promoted. You'll get first crack at the championship and, and it's your spot to lose. So I'll hope that he'll he'll get to start the season up forward and, and can show that he, he hasn't lost anything over the summer. Look, the case is there. I just, I, I would struggle to see who, who you could make a, you know, an argument for as replacing him. I, he was the, one of the surprise packets. And I know that when we did our wrap up uh, podcast last season, uh, the story of, of Magenis is still one that shocks me and, um, you know, in, in such a, a positive way. He he really, you know, far surpassed uh, our expectations for himself last season and, you know, the fact that he scored in pre-season and, and had another good chance as well. He could have quite easily found himself with, with two, um, 
you know, he, he's proven that he is the man. And I, I think that we can absolutely expect to see him, um, you know, leading the line when, when we do play round one. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, look, I guess probably the only player who could potentially um, contest for his place in the same team maybe is Longman, who's come in from Brighton, uh, who played in that second game against Scunthorpe. Um, well, he didn't really lead the line, I guess. We had Eve Scott and Longman up forward, sort of rotating through that front, that striker position. Um, one nil win against Scunthorpe. Um, again, not a whole lot to report out of that game. I guess the notable, the, the, the biggest talking points really are on the team sheet. Um, seeing Emmanuel get the captaincy, I sort of tweeted out before the game that that was great to see. Shows a lot of faith in, in him. You know, essentially, well, I mean, we've, we've talked to death about the fact that he was brought in essentially as a depth player, free transfer from Bolton. Um, and then his standing in the club's just gone up and up and up with his performances. And getting the captaincy, even just in a preseason game, is, is great to see for him. Yeah, I, it's exactly what I, you know, noticed when I saw the team sheet. It was absolutely Manuel getting the captaincy role. Um, you know, maybe with Callum Elder being out as well, it may, you know, lead McCann with an opportunity to kind of tinker with the with the lineup and whether he decides to to switch him to that flank. But uh, Emmanuel was by far and away the most unlucky, you know, League One player last season. He he never really did anything to warrant losing his spot, but. Due to Louis Coyle just playing outstanding, he found himself in that predicament, and it was great to see him captain the side. And um, I, I would be very surprised if we didn't see a lot more of um, of Emmanuel this season. Definitely, and I guess the biggest name on the score sheet, on the team sheet, I should say, uh, and, and the player that sort of lent himself to the title for this episode is, of course, Tommy Huddleston. Um, you have to pinch yourself a little bit to see him back on the um, City team sheet these days. And I think it was sort of put perfectly on Twitter that. Even if even if that was his final appearance in the city shirt, just the chance for city supporters to show him how much he meant to them, to give us that sort of link back to that you know terrific FA Cup final slash European run of football that we had under Steve Bruce, he, he's he's that link to that era, and to have him run out again for City, even if it is just for one last time, uh, was was pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly right. My feelings, um, you know, you've, you've described them perfectly. It was. It was surreal to see him in a, in a jersey and, uh, you know, to be talking so fondly of the club. And it's just kind of nice to see that um, how well revered he is, not only by the fans, but also the coaching staff. Um, you know, there's obviously people still around the club that, um, you know, recognise the legacy that, that Tom Huddleston left and, you know, that direct link to uh, somewhat of a golden era. It was great to see us extend a hand and, and help him out. And, you know, I guess the speculation of whether he'll sign now permanently is is the first thing that comes to fans' minds. But whether he does or he doesn't, it's, it was great to see him play. And, I mean, I guess the the transfer embargo or, or restrictions that are placed on us does make that a, a potentially more um, difficult predicament to, to speculate on. But just knowing the, the quality of, of player that he is and, and the passing ability that he possesses, we definitely have some guys in our midfield who are, um, you know, incredibly active and and very, um, you know, diligent workhorses. So there's a case to be made that you could certainly play Tom Huddleston there, knowing he is a, a very strong passer of the ball, and he'd be protected by the um, by the people around him. So look, we I'm sure there'll be a lot more written about it between now and and round one, and you know whether that happens or whether it doesn't. It was very nice to see Tom Huddleston back in a Tiger shirt. 
Yeah, I think if it was a midfield three of Honeyman, Doherty and, and Huddleston, I think Honeyman and Doherty's legs between them <laughs> make up for any lack of legs from um, Big Tom. But, you know, former City players, Andy Robertson, da- Curtis Davies, um, who was the other one, well, David Myler as well, have all sort of lent their voices to a chorus saying, you know, announce him as a new signing, sign him up. Um, where, where, where do you sit on that? Do you, do you see a, a position for him as, as sort of maybe it's a you know one-year contract and then a move into the coaching ranks or, or how would you say it? Well, the first thing that needs to be said on this, and I, I guess I'm going from the, I guess the, the cries of, of the fans is if there's ever a club who is, you know, extremely nostalgic when it comes to fans' opinions and, and romanticising the previous, uh, you know, signings and people who, who wore the jersey, I, I, you see it all the time now with with the success of Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson when people write things on all the socials about them scoring or them doing well and they're crucified almost instantly. They don't play for City anymore, let's get over it. So, I mean, we need to try and separate the, the emotion from from the quality that, that Tom Huddleston possesses before any any rational argument can be made as to whether he should be signed or not. Now, as I just alluded to, uh, Tom Huddleston is one of the most incredible passes of the football that, that we've seen. And uh, certainly at City in the last decade, you would struggle to find a, a better passer of the ball than Tom Huddleston. Now, if Grant McCann sees that as something that would be a, you know incredible attribute to fit his system, and he's got a style where at some point along the, the road this season, Tom Huddleston's going to be an asset, well, he's probably not going to cost too much. Um, and... As you said, you, you could certainly sign him for a, for a one-year contract and make it you know performance-based as far as whether there's any future beyond it. And if with the transfer embargo conditions, restrictions, whatever it is that, you know, once we've got through this appeal process, whatever still remains, if he's a signing that, that suits McCann's coaching philosophy and, and, he, and he can see a reason for him, well, at 34 years of age, I think there's a lot more football that, you know, and contributions that Tom Huddleston can offer the club. Um, and maybe not just in his on-field ability, but also what he can offer the dressing room and, and you know, the experience that he does have of being, um, you know, one of England's elite footballers over the last decade. And I think there's a very strong case to be made. I, I would certainly like to see it happen. But, you know, what happens behind closed doors and what the coaching staff think about is, is their best method for success in the championship. Well, that's that's entirely up to them. Yeah, and look, I mean, we sort of talked end of last season about the potential to bring in Curtis Davies, and and it's funny that we've sort of gone for the other former City player at Derby. But look, the point was made at the time. I think having that sort of experienced voice around the dressing room, even if he's not coming out on the pitch in the first eleven, um, that experience, that knowledge around the training course, everything like that, is so invaluable for those young players. We've got so many young players in the squad now that having having an older head in the team. Is, is is a real asset to the club as well. So there's there's a whole lot of intangible elements to that potential signing beyond just, you know, will he run out on Saturday and play for the 90 minutes or something like that. Um, so, look, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, I guess I did just want to touch on, before we move on from the games themselves, a lot of young players who, who sort of put their hands up or, or um, uh, you know, got the fans to take notice of them during the games as well. We had Smith, Green, um Leak as well. Leak apparently really highly rated left back, um, who's sort of third in line, I guess, at the club at the moment. All put in really great games across the two games as well. So, a lot, you know, it, it's always exciting to see these young players come through. And it's only what two years ago that that was Lewis Potter, and he broke into the first team as well. So, 
there's always those opportunities for those players to to put their hand up to get a run out the first month of the season and, and try and either cement a spot in the first 11 or at least just be in and around the squad. Certainly, and it's got the kind of, you know, the shades of, of players like Jared Bowen as well mm. who have come through the academy in recent times and, you know, emerged into into the, I guess, the I want to say the world stage, but perhaps the English domestic football stage where they've, where they've shown them themselves to be incredible footballers. And like you said, these preseason games offer a huge chance for them to reveal themselves. I mean, uh, reflecting on the highlights alone, the, the hugest or the largest disappointment for me is, is still watching Scott. I thought that, you know, mm. his role at Scunthorpe, um, that would be the perfect game for him to kind of, you know, step up and, and kind of, put his hand up and emerge as, as someone who is, you know, chomping on the heels of of the front three and, and making a strong case to kind of play some championship football. And uh, it was just, it was really difficult to, to not see any of that, particularly when you consider that, you know, Wilkes may not be, may not be starting um, or certainly won't be starting the season. And so uh, just uh, this, there's still a lot of, you know, speculation whether those guys or those type players are going to um, emerge. And I mean, if not, well, of course, these young guys that are starting to, you know, prove themselves and have had some really positive preseason showings, and we'll see hopefully a bit more of that with the with the two preseason games to come. Well, that's that's their chance of, of putting their yeah. hand up and coming in and really making a shout for at least a bench spot in those early rounds. Yeah, I think definitely Scott and also Eves were the, probably the biggest disappointments for me in, in that Scunthorpe game in particular. Um just didn't see anything. And look, and granted, as we're saying, we're just seeing the highlights, but just didn't see anything from either of them that really kind of screamed that they had sort of um, improved or, or found form or confidence over the summer to start the season in any meaningful way. And it's a real shame with Scott because it was a pretty big fee outlaid for him as part of the Bowen sale. I think we paid about one and a half million for him in the end, which, I mean, to be honest, that's probably almost the highest fee we've paid for a player in the current squad. Um so it's a big investment and it'll be a big shame if, if it doesn't really pay off um, for him. And look, you know, he's had a lot of bad luck as well. I mean, he, he got that injury the, the minute he stepped on the training pitch when he first signed for us. He, he hasn't really been able to get going. But I really hoped last season in particular in League One, he was going to at least emerge and be sort of a semi-consistent option for us. But he really just didn't do much at all. So I think this season is is a bit of a make or break for him. And especially when you consider the format of the way that the two, uh, you know, preseason games were played, it was, as you as you mentioned at the start, it was it was very obvious that Grant McCann has a pretty solidified first eleven, and and that was the the game that we saw take place against Mansfield. So, I mean, with the exception of probably Emmanuel, who you know, captain mm. the side, he probably has a, a very large reason to, um, you know, remain optimistic. But for for players like your James Scotts and your Tom Eaves. Uh, you know, they should be taking that performance personally and knowing that that was a real chance for them to shine in that game and be thrown straight back into the equation. But the fact that they didn't, um, you know, it's certainly concerning when, uh, you know, you're looking at a squad for for a championship season where we know the games come thick and fast. Uh, it's it's hard, to, hard to really trust that those guys are going to be dependable um, if, if we do see some injuries to our, to our key players. Absolutely. And probably two of the biggest standouts in that game are players that we'll talk about now. Um, we'll move on and talk about transfers into the club, first of all, uh, before we look at outgoings. And um, two players that stood out in that game, Baxter on loan from Chelsea and Longman on loan from Brighton, I thought looked really impressive. I think Baxter looks really assured in goal. He'll be a great 
I mean, it's hard to read that situation. I assume he'll be back up to um, to Ingram at least initially, but it's good at least that we are bringing in a second keeper who is there genuinely to challenge Ingram for that number one shirt. And we saw last season the value of having that pressure and competition between him and Long. Um, and Baxter obviously had a great season last year with um, Accrington Stanley. So he'll he'll be a good competition for Long in goal. Um, and, and Longman looks like a really good forward option, really quick pacey. Um, he's, we seem to be finding a lot of these sorts of specialist or, or not specialist uh, winger slash striker players who can sort of drift anywhere across that front three. And I can just imagine that, you know, when we've got Wilkes, KLP, Longman, um, um, and, and all these other guys fit, Scott even really as well as the same sort of player, they can all play anywhere across that front three and it, it can really cause a lot of confusion for the opposition. So, yeah, really, really good first up showings for them both. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that exactly like like you're saying, it, it sends a really clear intent for, you know, for the type of system and the way that McCann approaches his, his football. It's it's so much more about outscoring the opposition and, and getting bodies forward. So, you know, a, a lot of questions will be asked, but I guess you know, when you consider that, you also have to think about, um, you know, what, what's happening on the other end of the football. And so it obviously, you know, speaks into the trust that, that he does have now in the defence and I guess the work ethic of, uh, yeah, your George Honeymans and your, and your Doherty's of the world. Yeah, certainly. And then as permanent signings, um, it, it's only the three so far. And look, granted, it was it was really good to start to see some signings coming in quite early in the window, similar to last year. We were getting our business done early and We'll talk a little bit later about the uh, the transfer embargo. And, and in some ways, I feel like we're sort of being not punished for doing our business early, but I suspect we've sort of made assumptions around the, the conditions on that embargo, which have sort of bidden us a little bit um, in the way we've gone about our business. But look, nevertheless, we've brought in um, Moncur from Luton, Cannon from Portsmouth and Williams from Exeter. And, and I guess, again, Moncur is another one who can sort of drift anywhere across that front three and already sort of touched on how impressive he looked in the um, in the game against Mansfield. But all three of them, pretty strong signings. Cannon, of course, getting the winner um, against Scunthorpe as well. So, um, you know, off to a good start for the club. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think that any of them did themselves any harm in those those two preseason games. Although, I mean, if you're a club where people are doing harm in preseason games, then you need to reevaluate yourselves. I think. But yeah, you're right. It was it was really promising um, first up performance from all of them, particularly Cannon, like getting the goal and and a wonder strike of that, I think that, um, you know, there's no quicker way to endear yourself to a fan base than to come up with something like that on, you know, on your first outing in, in the City shirt. So, yeah, it's looking forward to seeing a lot more from those three. Definitely. And, and you know, look, there's been a lot of outgoings, but when you take a step back and actually look at their contributions last season, I feel like Burke is probably the only outgoing that I really feel like we'll miss to any great extent, um, I guess in saying that, you know, device going to QPR, Burke to Luton um, was essentially our first choice uh, uh, centre-back pairing in the championship last time out. So it's a loss of experience in that sense. But of course, we know Alfie Jones and Jacob Greaves, Greaves both coming into um, to centre-back last year, really put no foot wrong. So really strong um, pairing for us going into the championship. I'd probably say that's the, the area that we need to focus on the most in terms of improving or strengthening before the window closes. Um, but then really just, you know, Clark, who didn't make an appearance heading off to Fleetwood and then George Long going to Millwall as well. We're, we're really the players, you know, and Samuelson going to uh, FK, FK uh, Haugesund as well um, as basically the only first-team players who, who've been gone, who've left. 
Yeah, exactly. And and like you said, I I guess when you're reflecting on your outs, you, the first question you ask yourself is, well, of the crucial players in the squad last season and the role that they played, you know, who who are we waving goodbye to? Um, that's incredibly influential. And I guess when you're a, a Premier League team and you you go back to the Championship, this is always the most frightening part of of relegation is is losing. You, you know, arguably you're firing away your best players and and not recouping the right price for them. And Looking at who we've lost, I think it was expected. Um, I mean, Jordy Device left pretty early in the piece. Um, you know, we we're always expecting that. Um, apart from that, like uh, Clark didn't end up playing any any real football. George Long we expected to leave. Samuelson was a, a role player at best. And so when you consider that um, and break it down, kind of individually, there's nobody there that you think that we're going to be far worse off without. Although, you know, as you said, the the case can be made. Like. Burke and Device in their time were were incredibly good stewards for the club, and there was times where that centre back partnership was was humming, and you felt incredibly safe with them back there. But um, you know, certainly on last season's merit, that that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. You know, Burke was uh, helpful at times, but uh, you know, it became very clear that that Alfie Jones and um, and uh, Jacob Greaves were our, our most influential defenders. So, you know, fair play to them. Yeah, and, and then I guess the interesting element is the the outgoing loans, which is um, Jordan Flores going to Northampton. I think that one's fair enough. I think he was sort of brought in as depth in League One and just didn't really show that he had a future in, in the championship for us. Um, but then Callum Jones going to Morecambe and then um, Billy Chadwick and, and um, Ahmed Salam going to Linfield in Northern Ireland. Now, the cool thing about that is that I think I haven't actually seen the result of their Champions League qualifier, but they presumably went into the squad for um, a Champions League qualifier for Linfield, which was uh, quite cool, um, considering they're coming from essentially a, a League One squad. Um, the interesting thing about those outgoings is, of course, with the EFL embargo, my understanding is that the club was under the belief that basically that any players loaned out would not be counted in our 25 players. And not only that, but that the 25 players were players of professional standing. And it seems as if there's a bit of a grey area in terms of what constitutes professional standing. And I think because um, Callum Jones has played one or two games for us in the in League One last season, um, as well as a few other players, um, uh, the guy whose name I've now forgotten, who, who played for us in the last game of the season, who played, you know, 20 minutes off the bench or whatever it was, is now considered one of our 25 players as well. So there's, there's a bit of work to be done, I think, in clarifying what the conditions of this embargo are. Um, as well as just the consideration of whether we just, because uh, essentially it was a grant that the EFL paid us to to sort of maintain cash flow over COVID last season. Um, consideration of whether we just pay the, the, the grant back and just say thanks, but no thanks. And it just seems like it's hamstringing the squad a bit too much. Yeah, it's an incredibly sad way to start the season. And, and like you said, we're, we're talking about a League One club on its way up to the championship as well. So, I mean, it's not like we're a, a top, flight, top flight club coming down um, or, you know, have in debatably, um, you know, pushed the rules beyond extent with, like, we'll say a, a situation with the Derby counties of the world. But it's just a, it's, it's such an interesting predicament for, for as you said, what constitutes, uh, you know, a, a player of professional calibre, how, how they included in your 25-man squad. I mean, uh, part of this is, is a hypothetical, but you, you've talked about the the ownership room. It's like, what if, if new owners were to buy the club and, and in a surprise uh, turn of events and and exactly like you said just just pay the loan straight up like what what does that then mean like 
there's so many unknowns about this and it was um certainly the way that it was um you know reported in the media it it happened so quickly and it was done in such a kind of subtle surprising way um well, yeah because i think my, my my sense of it is that essentially well at least this is my understanding was that we we got the money last year from the efl to sort of maintain the cash flow during league one and i think a lot of clubs took the loan so they're all under the same conditions but it was just strange that they only published the embargo notification half, halfway through the window so it was almost as if the club had an understanding of what the embargo meant and what they could and couldn't do and we were presumably following it but then of course you have to think about the fact that we were lining up a bid for regan slater so either that means that we were unaware that we couldn't sign permanent players from clubs or we were just planning to to reimburse the the, the grant and which would basically absolve us of all of the the restrictions but that's just such a weird one and and if you read some of the rumblings there's, there's still a, a very big case and i know that there's still a lot of talk about uh, a bid still being tabled for for regan slater and mm. and again whether tom huddleston will be signed so uh, it's just uh, it would be so fascinating to see what they do over the next fortnight as far as you know preparing uh, for that season and, and getting a little bit more clarification around you know what what are the options still available to city because it would be an incredible shame to you know to start the championship season with with restrictions like this and miss out on some um, you know some crucial business that could ultimately be the difference between us you know making a good playoff run or, or staying up potentially. Yeah. Um, and not so i think that we'll certainly be talking about this a lot over the next fortnight yeah and it's certainly a bit ironic that this grant is meant to have assisted clubs in in being sustainable and, and sort of um staying afloat and then they're essentially punishing clubs for sending players out on loan or punishing clubs for blooding you know 17 18 year old kids um and giving them minutes in the in the league and saying well no no now these count as players and you can't go out and try and improve your squad um it all just seems a bit backwards, but then again, it is the AFL and you look at what's happened with Derby and um, Wickham getting relegated and Derby then being um, penalised and it was, it was such a mess in that situation as well. So a bit unsurprising when it comes to the AFL, but but it, it is what it is. Um, I guess the last topic that we we're going to touch on is the ownership rumours. And to be honest, since our last episode, I think where we, we were sort of touching on, on the rumours at that point in time, I don't think there's actually been anything heard since then. So... Do you, I guess there's two ways of viewing that is, do you see that as just meaning that it was all just smoke and mirrors and it's just completely gone away? Or, or do you see it as maybe there's just, you know, it's just gone all quiet because maybe it's all being done behind closed doors and, and then all of a sudden it'll be announced, you know, a month from now that, oh, you know, yep, there's going to be a takeover completed. I don't think I'm the best person to ask for this. And, and simply because I've, I've just lost that, that sense of optimism when it comes to the club being sold. I think that we've we've been through this so many times of the if it's fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me sort of thing <laughs> absolutely and so i mean there's such a unpredictable unpredictability about how the alums do their business um and and because there is always that when we when we talk about the communication to what actually you know goes goes on behind closed doors and what actually gets communicated to the fans is is often two different things and so when you hear rumblings about potential Turkish owners, I, I don't doubt that there is interested, you know, buyers for the club. And if they, you know, if they were from from some, uh, you know, Turkish descent or business that that had, uh, you know, some kind of investment and wanted to be involved in a in a club takeover, I, I suspect that was there. Um, how close it got 
and um, or how close it still may may or may not be is, is still interesting. But it's just anyone's guess. And so, you I know, there's I, a lot of there's a lot of people who share that opinion, and they just say until there's until there's that you know the typical um, corner flag picture on on a on a post on Twitter to say you know club statement with the confirmation, then there's there's not there's, it's not worth uh, spending too much energy on it. Yeah, and I guess also, Alex, at this point in time, it's also worth mentioning that the Alums did a very good job last season mm. um, and and they've done what a lot of the fans, apart from the fact that there's still a, a long-lasting hatred that I don't think will ever fully be repaired and, you know, that will certainly be talked about again in the next coming weeks when we have a debate whether when fans are allowed back into grounds and how many start to go and how much that affects the crowd and all those types of things. It's It's the fact that, how how much of this limbo land period are we going to continue to operate under? Because they went out and they did business early. They they brought in some signings under a shoestring budget that the fans wanted. We've always been hypercritical about signings being done too late. And, you know, they went out and they answered those questions. They The recruitment last year was fantastic. We've got a very hungry and, and young squad now that, is certainly capable and and ready for the championship, and that's far more than what we had at the beginning of last season when we, you know, got rid of a lot of players and under very tumultuous circumstances, the amount of players that left the club seemingly without explanation. And so, even though for a, for a group of owners who are you know despised by the fans, they are still doing a very good job of of keeping us relevant. And regardless what their motives are for that, um, you know, I'm. Uh, Whilst it's a fractured relationship, it's it's still strangely functional, um, which which plays into this question, I guess, with how much we want and need the club to be sold. Yeah, we've seen as well the um, the club website, which was previously Hull City Tigers uk or something like that. It's now changed to We Are Hull City. There's a huge marketing campaign pushing. Um, the phrase "We are Hull City," which is great because obviously one of the biggest points of contention was the the name change or the the attempted name change away from Hull City. Um, real push to get members to re-sign. Um, one of the big issues there was the lack of concessions. There's there's a range of different prices for different age groups um, available on the memberships as well. Um, look, it, it is it is a shame. And I, I had a Twitter exchange with someone a few weeks ago where I sort of tried to ask, what are the current anti-fan policies of the alums because that's always the point where alums are anti-fans and they're, they're acting in the in the uh they're not acting in the best interest of the fans and it didn't seem like there was really an answer and i get i do get that there is that resentment from previous actions and there'll always be that resentment for the previous actions but i guess the point i was trying to drop to get to was what is there currently that is upsetting fans or currently um, working against the fans. And and the answer really is that there isn't really anything. And you then have to say to yourselves, especially after these 18 months of COVID restrictions, is it worth holding on to those previous resentments and holding on to that stubborn um, dislike of the alums? And, and if you want to, that's absolutely fine. That's your call. But then you also have to think this group of players who've just got got us a league title in League One, they've got promoted back to the championship. They deserve to be playing in front of Eighteen to 20,000 supporters every week. And we, we have the supporter base to do that. We have the supporters and the, the, the interest and the passion in the city for that to happen. And ultimately, it's the fans deciding between supporting the players and, and, and enjoying themselves at the football as well or staying away to spite the owners. And, and like I said, if you want to stay away to spite the owners, that's absolutely your call and that's absolutely your 
right to have that opinion, but that's ultimately what it seems to boil down to. Yeah, and I think that the one of the other areas that we have to consider here is long term what this actually looks like. So, for example, let's hypothetically say that we have a fantastic season, find ourselves in the playoffs, and you know, lo and behold, even the miraculous happens, and we find ourselves with another promotion. If we're a club that is still, you know, uh, feuding with our owners, how hard is it going to be for us to then go and draw, you know, any kind of um, any kind of top tier player to want to come and play at a club when, you know, if there's another three or four clubs with their hat in the ring, we become a very difficult club to kind of, you know, to be sold on. And I think that that's, um, you know, we become with this this vicious, you know, attitude towards our own. It does become the the undoing of ourselves. And you know, we've we've mentioned this before as as cities fans who who live on the other side of the globe. We we are disconnected and we don't have the the opportunity to go to games and it's hard for us to always, you know, speak into this because we understand the the area that we sit on is very different to, you know, the the working class, you know, fan that that does, you know, pump their money into into tickets week in, week out. But just for the health of the club, it's 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 gone on for so long now. And, you know, we are functioning, but it would just be so nice to to find a, a resolution, whether that means that the Alums finally go or if there is you know, a part of the the fan base that do start to swing and realise that, you know, albeit the, the fact that they've had some pretty horrible run-ins, that there is, you know, some positive or optimistic changes that they have actually worked on to to get the club back into a into a better state, and and ultimately that's what we should be caring about the most, the the state of the club. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, you know, it's been it's been a uh, a good first episode back to talk to you about all the goings on off field and on. Um, just to let everyone know who's listening in or watching along, we do have a few new features in store this year. Um, we did do player reviews last year. Um, we've kind of worked our way through the squad. So instead of doing that again this year, what we're going to do is we're going to have a flashback feature where. Essentially, I'll have a topic of the week and try and get my co-host to to guess the three instances where that's occurred. Um, as an example, we might talk about when's the last three times a City player has scored a hat-trick. Um, and we'll see if you can kind of figure out or guess when those last three times were and, and I'll sort of help help us through it if we're struggling with the players' names or the uh, the events in question. And then we'll sort of talk about those as well. So, so that's sort of a new feature that we're going to try out this year. We'll continue with our Player of the Year voting as always as well. Um, and also because we've been doing our, uh, you know, our decade in review episodes as well, we're sort of figuring that we're getting to a point now where, where 10 years ago, we've got pretty clear memories of goings on at the club as well. So if there's any sort of notable events from 10 years ago, we'll, uh, try and bring those up as sort of an on this day feature and, and talk about those as well. Um, but otherwise, um, as always, we've got our Patreon that's up and running. So any support that you're able to give through there is very much appreciated. All proceeds go into the running of the podcast. So anything that you're able to provide is, is of course, very much appreciated as well. But otherwise, a, a like, comment, share the episodes around. What are you looking forward to this season? What play, What do you think of the signings so far? What players do you think we still need to, to target or positions we need to fill? Um, let us know in the comments on, on YouTube or on Twitter. Um, and just, yeah, like, share, comment on, on the episodes as you as you see them. That would be very much appreciated. But otherwise, until next time, thanks for, for joining me, Logan. No worries, Alex. It was good to be back. No problem. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. 
For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back